We welcome you to the ADHD Smarter Parenting Podcast. Here to heal and elevate lives is your parenting coach, Siope Kinikini. Well, hello, everybody. This is Siope. I am one of the hosts here at the ADHD Smarter Parenting Podcast. I'm happy to join you today. Today, we are going to be answering some of the questions that have come along from many of you who are listening to this podcast. And I felt like it was important to address some of these questions in regards to raising a child with ADHD, but also in regards to what we are teaching here through this podcast using the teaching family model. So all the skills that you find on smarterparenting.com. Those come from the teaching family model and they're behavioral. So we're trying to help parents learn how to manage their children's behaviors and help their children manage their own behaviors through these skills. Now, during the podcast, we obviously are teaching and trying to convey how these skills are applicable to you and to your children. Because of that, some questions have come up specifically in regards to how parents need to deal with their own specific situation. So I just wanted to start off with this disclaimer. And the disclaimer is pretty simple. It's that we are providing examples and we're using generalities when we're talking about using these skills, largely because ADHD is so complex and behavioral issues with children have so many variables that it's difficult to actually pinpoint specifically what it is that is happening with your child in their environment and in their situation. If you think about ADHD, ADHD a lot of times just gets that label, which is they have ADHD and that's it. And there's almost this expectation that people have of what that looks like. And many times people are under the false assumption that ADHD is just one thing. The reality is that ADHD exists on a continuum. And that continuum means that you can have a child with really mild symptoms of ADHD, but it's still affecting their lives. And other children who are dealing with ADHD and maybe some other issues that are more severe. And so we have kids on this wide continuum of behaviors that need to be addressed. And so when we are conveying these skills, You may find that we are being general in our approach in discussing it, but that's because in your situation with your child, it can look a little bit different. Although the skills, the skills and the steps remain the same. Those don't change. It's just your application of how you are going to convey this or work with your child that is the difference. I've mentioned this before. We can provide you with the tools that you need, but the overall building is your job as a parent because you know your child, you know what works, you know how they're going to react to certain things, and you can make those adjustments. I've used this before with families that I've worked with. I go in and I tell them, hey, I'm not a handyman. My job is not to come here and fix things in your house. My job is I'm basically Home Depot. My job is to give you the tools to allow you the opportunity to make the fixes that you need. So when I am gone, you have tools. If something happens, you're able to adjust and do what you need to do. That's what the skills are. They are tools that parents can use. So the disclaimer here is to you know, help you understand that when we are talking on this podcast about using skills and we're giving examples, we're providing a general outline for you as a parent, but it's your job as a parent to interpret that 
in a way that makes sense for you and your child. There's a saying that goes, you know, if you met one person with ADHD, you've met one person with ADHD. And that is so true because it manifests so differently in so many different people. In this podcast, I am going to be answering questions that have come up in regards to this that may be a little more specific. And I felt like it was important to address these issues and these questions because they come in and it has been more than one parent who has asked questions very similar. We probably will be doing this again because there are questions that come up that are actually excellent questions that we can address in the podcast. So let's start off with uh, this question. The question is, boys seem to be diagnosed with ADHD more and girls are not. What if I think my girl has ADHD? I am going to explain this in the best way that I can. It's very important to understand that boys are three times more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD. And there is a reason for that. It's because boys, in general, they have external symptoms. So they're largely more impulsive and largely more hyperactive. And so it's easy to observe those things and describe those things in order to get the diagnosis of ADHD. Now for girls, it's largely internal. So that can look like inattention, their inability to focus because they're just you know, spacing out. So it's a lot harder for girls to get diagnosed with ADHD because, again, a lot of people are focused on the perception of what ADHD looks like, which is the impulsivity and the hyperactivity. However, ADHD can manifest very differently in girls. I will admit professionals need to do a better job at being able to work through that issue of diagnoses. It's important for you to still take your girl in to have a professional assessment and bring up these issues and also discuss with them, hey, this is what I'm noticing. There are so many women that get diagnosed with ADHD later in life when they could have been helped earlier in life had the diagnosis been correct. So just understand that there is a deficit in the professional community as well, a lot of times they will not give that diagnosis because they're not seeing some of these more external behaviors, but girls do process things a little more internally. Now, the danger in that is that for girls, if you're processing things internally, that can lead to other things like anxiety or depression. And it can start to look like that, which a girl may be diagnosed with something other than the ADHD that they have. It's important for you to still go to the professional, but bring up your concerns and pay attention to those things. And also be aware that ADHD is misdiagnosed a lot of times with girls than they are with boys. So I would suggest going in, still doing the professional assessment, but pay close attention and have this discussion with the professional and say, I know boys are more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD, but I really want to focus in on my daughter. If she has it or not, I just want to know that we're really paying attention to the criteria for the diagnoses as they apply to her and then allow them to do their job and they will come up with the diagnoses. Now, at the same time, sometimes things don't fall completely under the umbrella of ADHD and there'll be multiple things going on. That's very common as well. So just be open-minded to those, but it is important to have these conversations and for you as a parent to be aware, girls do have ADHD, okay? They do, and boys do as well. It just manifests itself a little bit differently, all right? Okay, the next question. I use a behavior or a chore chart, 
but it's not working. I need to know what to do to fix it. So we talk a lot about behavior charts on uh, this podcast as a way for you to keep track of how to manage your child's behavior or help them know what they need to do. A lot of times parents mistake chore charts as the influencer, when in reality, a chore chart is nothing more than a reminder for you and for your child in order to do a specific task. Now, when you're working with a child with ADHD, it's important to keep the chore chart or the behavior chart as simple as possible, depending on your child's ability to focus. We don't want to overwhelm our child with a list of 10 things if they can't handle it. So so I've seen chore charts where there's maybe one item that's listed, and that's all we are going to focus on. That's fine. In fact, you want to start with small battles first, and you want to start with battles that you can win. This helps to build momentum. Focus in on a small thing. So if the small thing is, you know, wake up and brush your teeth, and that's what's on the chore chart because your child struggles with that, then do that. And you know that they can do it most of the time on their own, and then use the chore chart there as a way and a reminder for them that they're able to do this and that they need to do this. And it's a visual, it's, it's visible for them to see and visible for you. Now, another piece to this is you can also, on a chore chart or a behavior chart, Put your name and what you are going to do if the child follows through with the chore. When you do that, what happens is it pairs the behaviors for both of you to what needs to be done, and it holds you accountable as well. And when a child sees, oh, this is me and this is my mom, there's almost this idea of, oh, okay, this is connected. It's fair. I need to do this, and then this will happen. And my mom has agreed to that, and this is written, and it's permanent. This idea of bringing accountability in the chore chart for you and for your child is one thing that a lot of parents miss, but I would highly suggest you do that on a behavior or a chore chart. Include your name and the item. Now, again, we don't want to overwhelm a child with multiple things. We want to be able to do things that they can do well initially on their own and then build from there. So just be very conscious and aware of how you're using behavior and chore charts. Chore charts don't have to be charts that you hang on the wall as well. There are other ways that you can do this. You can have a chore chart that is written in a dry erase marker on a mirror in a bathroom. Why not? Just a little thing that they can check. That actually is helpful for some kids because they have to look in the mirror and they'll see that there is this writing on the mirror that they need to check and it's helpful. So we want to make it as easy as possible. You can do chore charts that way as well. You definitely want to have a chore chart or behavior chart that's visible for your child, but also visible for you. If you have it somewhere just passing through, I know a lot of parents put it on the fridge. That's a wonderful place, but how often are you really paying attention to what's on the fridge? And especially if there are multiple things on the fridge, it can be a little overwhelming and you can easily get distracted. So you want to be sure that you're placing it somewhere that your child will see and that is effective. I've had even parents put it on the ceiling so when the child wakes up, they can see what the chore chart is. You're going to have to find out what works for you and your family. Those are some suggestions that I have on the behavior chore chart. And then the last thing for behavior chore charts is consistency. You have to follow through. Next question. I've asked my child to clean their room and my child is just overwhelmed. What can I do? 
cleaning the room or doing any other task, it's kind of related to the chore chart. In a way, sometimes when we give our child generalities like that, which is clean your room or, you know, clean the kitchen, it's so broad that it becomes overwhelming once they step in the room. Now, if you have a child with ADHD and you've gone into the room, most children with ADHD have a really messy room, and that's okay. One thing to do in helping your child deal with that is to help them do one thing at a time, so one step at a time. Instead of saying, go clean your room, it would be, hey, let's do the clothes first. So we're just going to pick up clothes from off the floor and put them in the hamper. And that is the focus. So you want to focus in on smaller tasks in the overall general idea of what you want to do and then build on that. It can also be helpful to have a timer for how long it would take to do that so your child doesn't get distracted. And for children who struggle with like severe ADHD or the inattentiveness of ADHD, I've even had parents who focus in on colors. So they would say, okay, we're going to pick up all the blue jeans on the floor. And so they'd pick up all the blue jeans. Okay, now we're going to pick up all the blue clothes on the floor. And they would focus in on smaller tasks and then build off of those. Now, after they accomplish the smaller task, it's time to pretty much throw a party and then move on to the next task. doesn't have to be long, but you do have to give effective praise and you do have to say, hey, great job. That's wonderful. Okay, now let's move on to the next item. Now keep track. Now using a timer will be helpful because it helps them understand, okay, I have a limit when I need to get this done. Uh, sometimes timers are not helpful for children with ADHD because they're not paying attention to the clock. I've had parents use music, so a song. By the time we start this song and finish this song, we will be done with this item. And uh, they can choose a favorite song that they want to do. Using something to measure time will be helpful for them to stay on task. Now, one suggestion I do have for you is once the chore or the, the room is clean, I want you to take a picture. Take a picture of everything. Take a picture of your child smiling in front of it. And I need you to print out that picture and put it right by their room or their chore chart, you want to have it as a reminder, a visual that your child can see, okay, this is what my room looks like clean. So yay. You want to have those there in order to help them uh, remember what it's like to keep things clean. All right. Next question. We have a reward system. So we give rewards to our child, but they're not working. What's wrong? Reward systems work for various reasons. First, you have to be able to tap into what rewards work for your child. And this will change as your child changes. So just be aware that the, the reward that you were giving your child at five is not going to work when they're 15. It's going to change. So you need to be able to adjust to those and you have to be able to measure and gauge how much of a reward you are actually providing. You don't want to start off with big things because that just leads to bigger things. You want to start off as small as possible and keep it there as long as possible and just incrementally build. You only need enough for motivation. You don't need enough to, to make them completely happy. So just a little bit at a time. Now, one of the things with ADHD is that reward systems often don't work with these kids because the reward system is placed 
too far in the future. A lot of parents will say, oh, we're going to do a reward system. You can earn this by the end of the week. For some children with ADHD, that doesn't work because the end of the week sounds like next year. So you want to focus in on giving smaller, more immediate rewards in between. Now, what that will look like depends on what the reward is. But if it's a big reward, just cut it down into smaller pieces where they can slowly incrementally build from there. I'm going to move on to the next question, which has to do with co-parenting. The question is, I co-parent, but we do not agree. What can we do? This is a difficult one because uh, when you are co-parenting, you have two individuals with very two distinct views on what needs to be done. My suggestion for that is that the parents have to come to some agreement and it will require some compromise on both parts on what is in the best interest of the child. You should be able to find some things that you agree with, but again, it will take some compromise on both your parts. And you may not get everything that you want, and they may not get everything they want, and that's okay. But that definitely needs to happen. Now, if that does not happen, that's a different issue, and that's something that we can talk about in just a bit. Once you come to the agreement, be very specific on your concerns and their concerns and find ways to make those work. And then you're going to have to decide on what type of behavioral intervention you can both consistently do. If your child talks back to you or talks back to your ex, what is the consequence and will it be consistent between the two of you? Trying to find that common ground is going to be essential. Now, if you're working with a parent that does not want to participate in whatever you're trying to do. It's always best for you as the parent to focus in on your own parenting strategy. Now, that's really difficult because a lot of parents will feel like, well, my child prefers my ex because things are a lot more free and it seems like that is the Disney parent and they're always having fun and not being held to any accountability. But I will tell you, experience has taught me that the parent that has structure and is most consistent wins in the end. And not that it's a competition, but that you are looking at the long term. Usually a child will be super happy with the Disney parent, right? And they will enjoy their time and they'll come back and they'll say, oh, we had so much fun. Everything was so great. And then you have to lay down the law. Lay down the law and just be consistent. One thing I would tell you is to be the influence of calm and the influence of patience and listening. I mean, all those things are things that you can control in your own home. So you just want to be able to be that consistent, calm person in their life, despite everything that's going on. And this is how this is going to pay off in the future. When your child is in distress, your child will come to whoever is the most calm and consistent. I often ask this question. So if your child enjoys their time with the ex, that's wonderful. But when your child is sick, when your child is in need or struggling, who do they turn to? Who would they turn to? And the question 
is geared towards helping a parent understand that even though a child can have a lot of fun and do a lot of things, the child will always go where things are consistent, structured, and calm. They may test it out and say, oh, I'm going to go to the Disney parent. They may say that, right? But if a child is really legitimately sick, who are they going to ask for? Which one? It's important for you as a parent to be consistent and to be calm. So just keep that in mind. You're playing a longer game than what is happening right now because things change as the child changes. They start to understand a little bit more. And children look for structure and consistency. Okay? So just focus in on what you can do if your ex is not going to participate. I'm going to move on to the next question, and this is our final question for this podcast. It's everything I ask ends up being an argument. How can I avoid it? This is something that often happens because parents are asking their children over and over again to do things. And it's not uncommon, especially with children with ADHD, to say, hey, go clean the kitchen. Hey, do the dishes. I asked you to do the dishes. Do the dishes. Okay. So those are things that every parent with a child with ADHD is consistently doing, and it can be taxing on the parent, but it can also aggravate the child where they feel like, oh, my parent's just nagging me to death. What should I do about this? Uh, One suggestion that I have in order to help you deal with that is instead of saying, do this, I want you to approach it in a more collaborative way. And maybe you should start asking questions about uh, what they need to do. For example, if your child has a hard time uh, getting ready for school in the morning, instead of like doing everything or saying you need to do this and you need to do that, switch the question and say, what do you need to do to be ready for school tomorrow? When you phrase things in that way, what you're doing is you're allowing your child to participate in the decision-making of what needs to occur, but it's also helping you know where your child's at and what they are thinking and what they need to be doing. So focus in on questions like that. What do you need to do to get ready for school tomorrow? How can I help you get ready for school tomorrow? Those are more collaborative ways that don't end up being, I'm telling you to do this, and the child, like, my parent is nagging me five times. I heard him the first time. I don't want to hear it anymore. So start with questions like those that are a little more open. They provide more opportunities for communication and for understanding, and it helps the relationship uh, improve, all right? Now, during this podcast, we have covered multiple questions that you've had. There are so many more questions that people bring up. And again, I am just letting you know that what we are providing you are tools. The skills that we provide are all tools to help you through this process of working with your child with ADHD. For each of the things that I discussed, there is a skill that you can use for each one. So, for example, the skill that you would use for Uh, having your child prepare for the next day of school, that would be preventive teaching, okay? So there are a lot of skills that we teach that are tools that you can use in these interactions. Effective communication is another skill you would use throughout all of these. So just keep that in mind, that all the skills are available on the website and you have access to it. We'll probably answer more questions. I think this is kind of fun, personally, to kind of address very specific questions that people have, but also to explain it in a way that will help multiple parents who are probably dealing with very similar issues figure out exactly how that applies to them and their family. 
So that's it for me for this week. Thanks for joining us, and I will see you again next time. Bye.